He's to the 45. He's oh, to he's the 50. Oh, no, he's not. No, he's not going to plant it in the midfield of the O, is he? Wow. Yes, he is. Rattler again to throw it. Steps up in the pocket. Throws on the run. Alright guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host, Kamir Amarabian. I'm joined by, for the first time in a while, Jack Shields. He's been selling his house and moving and doing a bunch of really fun adult stuff. In the midst of all this stuff, yeah. How how is life? And tell tell me about your view from the outside, kind of looking in, not pod podcasting with us because you've been busy busy with life. Well, I mean, you know, closing on a house, moving into said house, while um, the coach of your alma mater stabs you in the back and breaks your heart, and then there's a coaching search, and then. You know, your wife who doesn't follow football is really annoyed with you because you're only following this. And I, I think there are a lot of significant others who are in the same boat. It is what it is. It's almost over. Life will go back to normal. Uh, I was moving stuff out of old house until 3 a.m. last night. I am running on fumes, but I'm getting a little jolt of energy here from signing day. Uh, not the most eventful signing day on our end, but plenty of eventful stuff on Florida State's end. Uh, lots of stuff going on there for sure. Uh, Neon Dion stealing their top recruit. Uh, a little bit of drama there. That's been fun. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm ready for things to slow down a little bit. But it's uh, it's it's been. I'm grateful. It's been fun. Yeah, during bowl prep, it's calm before the storm. We'll see what happens over the next however many weeks, and then that between the period between now and National Signing Day too. But Stephen, how's life, man? How's everything going? It's good. Uh, like last week with all the the commotion and everything, I didn't really get much work done, like actual work done, and it's finally catching up this week. So we're having a late start to the podcast because I have so many little meetings and stuff I got to get through, but. Uh, it's good. It just feels like the past two weeks, you already said it, it feels like it's been like a month or so. So yeah, dude, it's, it's been like exhausting. Like you check your phone every 10 minutes, every 15 minutes, refresh, 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 especially during the coaching search. Oh my gosh, so much going on. And uh, then you get a little tidbit just, just randomly, it's like randomly dropped on the timeline from Twitter. There's no like in no like breadcrumb trail of anything. The next thing you know, it's you knew Spencer Rattler was transferring. You knew Austin Sogner was transferring, and they end up at USC, but not that one. The one on the other coast at South Carolina with Shane Beamer, which I think is a great fit for Shane. Of course, like he took that program in year one, and they were bad. Year two, they become bowl eligible. And that's a coach that Oklahoma has really missed uh, over over the last year, especially last year. And now you insert a Spencer Rattler, you insert an Austin Stogner to that offense, which I'm very curious as far as like their friendship and stuff like that, considering the amount of time Spencer like 
kind of left Austin Sogner hanging out to dry over the middle <laughs> of the field that like ultimately led to that injury that spread to his leg. But I mean, like he threw him the ball a lot of times in really clutch situations. So, um, but so good for them, really happy for them, really happy for Shane Beamer. I mean, like he, that dude, like talk about building culture, right? That's what OU's trying to do right now. Talk about trying to build a culture and a brand at South Carolina. Um, it, it that, that's, that's awesome for him. Good for him and good for South Carolina. I hope they make life hell for those other people in the SEC East that they're continuing to build up over there. Um, down in, I, I think they're, they're in Columbia, aren't they? They are. Yeah. Columbia is, I don't know if you've ever, uh, been to Columbia before, but it's basically a, an exact clone of Tallahassee, Florida. It looks exactly the same. It's about the same size. It's a state capital. It's mm-hmm. uh, school's definitely a party school. I mean, it's uh, it looks exact. It, it's it's a clone of Tallahassee. It, it's uncanny. It's basically so, like Auburn is with Clemson. So Rattler will like that school. It's if it's a party school, he will yes, enjoy yeah. that school. He, he likes <laughs> he'll hanging out. He'll have a good time. All right. Well, on the OU side of things, because that's what everybody's here for, right? We've got. Just we got new staffers. We got new staff in place in Norman. I mean, like everybody is obviously aware of Jeff Levy. Everybody is aware of Ted Roof. A couple of names that people uh, may be familiar with, uh, uh, especially Levy, that's been mentioned over and over and over. Roof was a bit of a surprise for a lot of people for a variety of reasons, and we'll get to yeah. those things. Uh, Brent Venables is also bringing over a guy named Thad Turnispeed, uh, and we'll talk about him briefly. And uh, Schmitty, Schmitty's back. Schmitty built, I mean, ever since 99 to 2017. And then one call, like no hezzy, like as soon as he gets off the phone with Brent on his way to Norman, like that was a very, very quick turnaround as soon as all that came together. So, Talking about new staff members, talking about, I mean, especially Jeff Lebby, what he likes to do in particular, and we talked about this last week, is he really, really likes to get vertical, but also he really enjoys taking it to the opponent, power run game, making sure his teams are running the ball effectively in during the game, uh, not just by the running back. I mean, I think there was a game this past year that his running back was getting no no gaps at all to run through. And so he had to lean on Matt Corral to run the ball for him. And I think Matt Corral in one game had like over 15, 20 carries, which is something that Caleb Williams may not be privy to if he were to stick around, uh, or maybe something that he would be privy to considering that that would view him as more of a playmaker. So I'm sure these are conversations that Levy and Williams would be having because I know Williams is in constant contact with the staff. And so, I mean, he's averaging over 500 yards of offense at his previous stops at UCF and Ole Miss. And of course, like, you know, he's under guys like Josh Heupel and guys like Lane Kiffin. So offensive minds already are there. Uh, And so those are guys that are mentoring him. Uh, So he brings that kind of attack. But, we, we talked about Jeff Levy. Let's, let's talk about Ted Roof because that's a guy that was quite a shock to, I think, a lot of, if not all, a lot of people, right? <laughs> I mean, Ted Roof was like, who? Like, a lot of people, like, got on their phones immediately as soon as the hire was named and was like, who the hell is this guy? 
and I've nobody has heard of Ted Roof, especially around Oklahoma. You're, you're thinking like, oh, it might be this guy. It could be this guy. Oh, they might be coaching somewhere else right now. They might be in the college football playoff. They might be some other staffer. And he's announced with Levy, which is odd because you heard the Levy talk from a mile away. And you heard nothing about Ted Roof. And so he has a national title ring with Auburn. But honestly, his career as a whole has not really been that impressive. And so, but he does, he comes from an area where he has a lot of ties to the Southeast, especially when you're going and making a move to the Southeast Conference, when you're going to have to have those ties with those high school coaches and those relationships to recruit down South. And so my question to you guys is this, and, and, and Stephen, I'll head to you first. Is this... Brent Venables version of Ruffin <laughs> McNeil, or is this something else? It's a little bit of a rough and hot here. I think um, part of me wants to think you know, put your little tinfoil hat on that, you know, when you hire Jeff Levy, obviously you're going to get some backlash um, just because of his history with, with certain schools, but maybe this hire was just there just so they, uh, they have something else to talk about. Like it's, it's just a very uninspiring hire. It's just kind of like Ruffin McNeil, um, maybe like a Tim Kish hire kind of thing. Um, one thing it does do, and I think this may be why they kind of went this direction, is he's not going to step on too many toes. He's not really going to take that much control of a defense that's that's under uh, Brent Venables. And to his credit, he does know Georgia very, very well, and that's, that's a state that they really want to get into. So I think the idea behind that hire was – more than more than likely just having a guided tour around Georgia. And that that's something that me and Jack are actually kind of like we, we briefly talked about this before we even started recording about Tarber, right? I don't think there's any uh, much coincidence that Tarber decommits and then commits to OU basically the next day after Ted after Ted Roof is hired at OU, especially because I mean Roof was a, was a coach at Georgia Tech for quite a minute for, for, for a minute. I mean, and, and, and Jack, you're, you are familiar with that sort of stuff. So give us a little bit of insight on roof and stuff. Well, yeah, Ted, he was at Georgia tech when I was working there and, you know, he was a guy who was definitely well liked around the athletic offices. I mean, he's, you know, definitely not someone kind of like Steven said, he's not going to step on anyone's toes or anything like that. He's not going to, you know, cause any drama or anything like that. He, uh, you mentioned, you know, he is someone who kind of provides those connections a little bit. He's not, however, someone who's really going to move the needle out on the recruiting trail. He's not like a, you know, he's not like a super hungry, active recruiting type. So that's that's one of the things that sort of, I guess, gave me pause about that hire. I mean, you only have so many assistants who can go out on the road and recruit, and you're basically using one of those spots on a guy who's not a super dynamic guy on that front. So, I mean, you know, he's someone who's respected as a coach of linebackers, which is essentially what he's there for. He's a linebacker coach who has the title of defensive coordinator while Brent Venables is the de facto defensive coordinator. So it's not a hire that people should be outraged about or anything like that. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a little vanilla for sure, but, uh, it's not something that's going to cause any harm. It's just that maybe, you know, the upside is not as high as maybe another hire that could have been made potentially. 
Yeah, he was definitely unexpected. It wasn't a splash hire that people were expecting. Like like people when when they think of like splash hires, um, you know, we have Levy with his with his personal baggage regarding Baylor and the Arbrile situation. But you understood Levy comes in with an offensive philosophy that is indeed explosive. There's a power run game. There's a vertical pass game. Things that are there. And then you go with the roof, which is like, what are we doing? But at the same time, I mean, if we listen to Brent and what he's been saying basically over and over and over and over, which is like, hey, listen, we're not going to go out and sell ourselves and sell ourselves and sell ourselves. What I loved about his presser was like, you never see commercials about Rolls Royce cars. You never see commercials that. And that's what OU is in the grand scheme of like college football. They're one of the blue bloods. You don't see commercials about them. You have people come to you. And so, like, like I think we mentioned this last week with uh, Stephen and Peyton as far as, like, how Bob Stoops would walk to recruits in, in their in their homes and be like, what do you bring to us instead of what can we do for you? And that might have turned some recruits off. But at the same time, that's likely to be a thing that would maybe turn some recruits on to Oklahoma considering that that's a thing that Oklahoma expects as far as, like, this is the brand. This is college football this is blue blood this is called this is the purest of the pure and if you want to be and act like that you need to walk that way and so i mean that's not the only guy that brent is bringing in of course he's bringing in miguel chavis who is he was a clemson staffer he's going to be a defensive ends coach he's also bringing in thad uh speed who was a guy that was under sabin at Alabama, and then he goes to Clemson, I think 2011, and starts basically building up Clemson to where they are now. Like he goes and fundamentally helps change, helps Saban change the culture around Alabama and prop up their facilities. I mean, he was the director of recruiting, external affairs, and player development. He helped out at Bama and establishing kind of like those dom that dominance and understanding players and their needs and their facilities, then goes to Clemson does the exact same thing at Clemson in 2000, uh, in 2013. And that's when Clemson starts really rising the national prominence behind the scenes. He's a guy, he's like the Clark Stroud, except, you know, actually that does stuff and doesn't do funny videos on Fridays. And so funny. he's he's going to be a guy that actually I think is going to be a really positive thing for Brent Venables. And Brent Venables even mentioned himself as like he's like a really key guy for this staff. And so, again, I think it all comes down to Brent Venables as not just a football coach, not just like a, a recruiting approach, but as a cultural shift to the program as far as the direction in which this program is heading. And so. The main one that we're looking at, though, is Schmitty's back. It's Schmitty built. You know, it, there's there's not there's a lot of stories that are out there, especially of former players that you love. A to lot hear of mention about. of stairmasters and being called big dog. That was oh, yeah. the time oh, yeah. of all of last week. <laughs> yep, big, big. You know, you know, Castiglione brought back top dog. Schmitty's bringing back big dog, um, <laughs> and and you love to see it. And so, Jack, I'm coming to you first on this one before we even talk about Schmitty in general. Um, over under three and a half guys that he runs off. And this is not like over. so for the for, for the people that are listening over to this right now. For the people that are listening to this, this is not a negative thing. Sh this is Schmitty to the core. 
he has been known to run off players that simply aren't cut out for this kind of football that's going to make you faster. That's going to make you more physical. Uh, I mean, Roy Williams said it himself. He's going to break you down like a he's going to break you like a horse. He's going to break you down to your components and build you back up to your finest. And that's how they survived. And honestly, that's how they kick so many people's asses. That's how they were so well aware of stomping on people's throats, especially late in games when they could. And so you see, you're taking the over already. Immediately answer <laughs> over three and a half guys that he's because he, he ran off several linemen um, and, and and some and skill guys that just weren't cut out for that kind of those kinds of workouts. Now, is he still doing those archaic workouts that he did like in 2001? No, because new science has come out. But is he still the same guy? Yes, he's still the same guy that's bringing that toughness to the program. Uh, Steven, same question. Three and a half guys over or under. Oh, man. I think I'll go uh, I'll go with under. I'll go with just three. I don't think uh, it's going to be like four or more. So I think I'll it'll go, be close. I think it'll be close. Yeah. But it's a, it's a good turn of events, I think. Um, there's no question that we all kind of heard rumors. I mean, Colin had talked about it, um, you know, not on the podcast that, there were some issues in the strength and conditioning department um, more so that it's kind of been a little bit light there. Not, it's not that it's, they don't work out or anything or don't, don't do lifts. Um, it's just kind of been a different culture and um, one that kind of allows a little bit too much. So uh, I, I like the hire. I like bringing them back. I know some people weren't a big fan just because of how it ended, but I think it's good for OU. Yeah, no, and that that's a it's it, it's a great it's a great thing to think about considering that the culture that Benny Wiley had created and once Schmitty was rehired at OU, I mean, I was catching I was catching DMs and I think I mentioned this last week as well uh, from our our good friend Gerald Goodridge over at um uh, Burn Orange Nation Longhorn Republic. Uh, they run a fantastic podcast uh, him and Kyle Carpenter. And when I mentioned that Benny Wiley was gone. He was like, man, like, I don't even know why you guys had that guy. He's not a good coach. He's, you know, because like he, Benny Wiley, he's a reality TV star guy that won a competition and he's a guy that's meant for glorified CrossFit coaches. Yeah. Yeah. CrossFit. He's meant for (laughs) speed. He's meant for getting these guys there, but also not really necessarily being that tough. It's a different culture with Schmitty in the weight room. Just by, just by looking at, the Twitter threads of previous players, but also even just the stories of AM play the current AM players and most recent AM players that they had to undergo during Schmitty that helped them uh get over some get over some humps as far as physical humps and stuff like that that would get them over the edge in the SEC play because you're gonna have to have toughness. And that's what this staff is really bringing on. Like with Venables in the fold, you got Schmitty back in the fold. Like you've got guys that are bringing discipline, toughness, accountability. And like, when I mean toughness, because like Grinch, Grinch brought back more accountability than Mike Stoops had. We, we talked about this for a couple of years in a row. Grinch brought back more accountability than Mike Stoops had on defense. Now talk about Brent Venables being there. And now you bring in Schmitty. Who's there with them the entire time. These offensive coordinator defensive coordinator head coach like we know are only around them for a certain amount of time throughout the year schmitty's with them like the entire time that guy's around them all year so he's the one really setting the tone and so for a guy like that to come through your program 
honestly means quite a lot to Oklahoma football, especially when you're getting ready to play in the SEC in a year or two. Uh, not this coming year, maybe the year following or the year following that. It's most likely after this coming year, uh, you're going to need two off seasons of Schmitty to really build yourself up. And so I thought that I thought it's a great hire. Uh, I'm really excited. And so my question is this, and, and it's it's maybe not a main reason why, but maybe a possible reason, not necessarily a possible reason, but a, a reason why, and Jack will come to you first with this one. Schmitty exits 2017, right? And would you think and suggest that one of the reasons why Oklahoma maybe became softer, especially as a team, not even on the offensive offensive side of the ball, but on the defensive side of the ball, you saw Oklahoma get punched in the face by teams like Kansas State. You, uh, you saw teams uh, that were more physical punch Oklahoma in the face, and Oklahoma not really being willing to throw that punch back. Do you think that the exit of Schmitty kind of maybe accentuated that a little bit more than Benny Wiley coming in? Uh, do you think that Schmitty's absence – led to Oklahoma being a little bit more soft, especially along the trenches and the team as a whole? Yeah, I mean, he's his last year at OU was 2017. And, you know, if OU needed a yard on the ground on third or fourth and one, they were going to get it at that point. This past year, I mean, you know, 2017, you, you're, you're one of the main contenders for the Joe Moore Award. 2018, you win the Joe Moore Award. The year after Schmidty's gone, but still his – you know, his uh, kind of impact remains at that point. Gradually, as the years went on, 2019, starting really in 2020 and really starting in 2021, the offensive linemen, they appeared to just be slow to react, out of shape, just not as physical either. I mean, it was, I mean, I know correlation doesn't equal causation necessarily, but it's a pretty strong cor correlation there. So, I mean, it's, you know, I think there's definitely something to that. And I think the place where you saw that the most was the offensive line. That's where it was most noticeable. Yeah. Sure. And I, I would agree with everything you just said. And Steven, what, what do you think? Do you, do you agree? Do you disagree to some extent? Do you yeah, think there I, are I completely other... agree. You look at uh, what OU did in 2017. I mean, they, they pushed Ohio state around, they go toe to toe with Georgia. Um, and then it starts to trickle down from there. Um, especially when you go look at what they did against LSU um, then you look at the Kansas State games where they're just getting run up and down the field on both sides of the line. So um, it's just a trickle-down effect. And, you know, COVID did have a factor in there as well. But you could see that the the physicality and the toughness and the strength just wasn't there. And I agree with that. I agree. I, I think that especially with this offensive line coming in i mean you've got rain coming back you've got anton harrison coming back you got wanya morris coming back and for a couple of other guards in the interior essentially but i think that you're gonna see a scrappy group next year i think you're gonna see a group that's gonna really be tough as nails next year that the ones that are still standing by the end of schmitty's camp um but i i, I really think that I really think that he's going to be a guy that's going to have a really positive impact on the program, considering all the things that he's going to make you do to be better. And it's not just in fact, like, because from the, the notion that I got from the program with Wiley, there is that it's a very relaxed weight room. Hey, did you do your reps? Cool. All right, get out of here. Where Schmitty is on your ass 24 seven 
and making sure you're getting your time. If you don't, if you're not making your time, Malcolm Kelly said it his said it in his rap. And you're not making his time. Schmidt is getting pissed, you know. And so, like, he's going to make sure that he's going to break you down. He's going to put on good weight. He's going to take off bad weight, and he's going to make you a hell of a football player. It's tough as nails, and that's something that Oklahoma's been missing. Like you, Jack said, and like you, Stephen said, you start to notice. You know, 2017, his exit. 2018, they win the Joe Moore Award. And then they start. you start to notice the team getting softer year after year after year after year. And I don't think that's a coincidence, especially with the coach that they spend year-round with. That's something that's really important, especially yeah. in these months between or in, this, in these weeks between the end of the season and the actual bowl game. That is where you're going to make a lot of gains, especially for the for the next year going on, because you have a month of straight just working out. And somebody like Schmidt is going to be a guy that's going to help out with that. And so if, if Billy Bowman sticks around and if other freshmen stick around, I'm very curious to see what they're going to look like after they've had an offseason with Schmidt, a spring, a spring, a winter and a summer, uh, because I think those guys will come back tough as nails. And so. One of the funnier things that I that we've gone over through like the last week again, like these last this last week has in itself felt like a month. These last two weeks have felt like forever. Is that Danny Stutzman? Oh my gosh, talk about one of the most marketable Sooners ever. I even I, I tweeted about it and he responded. I was like, if if Danny Stutzman just like rebranded himself <laughs> the Stutz and like as like almost like a Bosworth thing, he can make so many dollars from an nil and he tweeted back and was like nah i'm gonna make my own like name for myself which is like you know commendable and in a variety of ways and that's what you want to see from your freshman all-american linebacker my god especially with brent venables working with you i think brent venables is gonna have that guy like like looking like a like, schmitty gonna have him like like looking like a greek <laughs> god and then brent venables is gonna have that guy playing like a greek god over the middle of that defense and so Danny Stutzman loved this so much, talks about how he wants to have some turf in his dorm room and so he can be closer to the field at all times. And then like not even a week later, he the the next picture is some damn cut up turf inside <laughs> his dorm room that he had just vacuumed. He's like, I feel like Basically his entire floor. Yeah. All he's of like, the square footage. I, he's like, I feel like Baker Mayfield taking care of my own lawn. And it's just like, yeah, it's his entire floor. And people, and I think Nick Benito or somebody quote tweeted him as like, how the hell does a man get this to get this up into Headington or something like that? <laughs> yeah. It's just the most hilarious thing. And like, is so Steven, is Danny Stutzman the most lovable sooner? Like, like, well, he's obviously the most lovable sooner, but like, who is he the most lovable Sooner since, I guess? I mean, it's got to be Mayfield, right? He's right up there with right? Mayfield. I mean, he's already getting the name Danny Football by Sooner fans, and he's got a, a turf he does turf dorm room. I mean, this dude just lives and breathes football just kind of like Baker did, so you'd have to make that comparison somewhere. I, I, I absolutely love it. Uh, yeah, Mayfield. Uh, like, what about the defensive side of the ball? Like, like would oh, you man. say – like it would you say uh Jack would you say maybe Travis Lewis a guy that's like overt and out there because Travis Lewis like Travis Lewis wasn't afraid to speak his mind no, and, to, and to get out there um, but he wasn't like 
Like, because if Travis Lewis was Eric there, Stryker would be a guy who. Okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That kind but of fits. Tilo too, for sure. Yeah, like because Stutzman, because Stryker was a guy that was like an intimidator, but also could be funny. Stutzman, there's like zero intimidation on Twitter. It's just constant like shit posting and being funny. <laughs> but then when it comes time, like for the field on Saturdays is an actual like legitimate player the guy was a three-star and so like that's one a thing three you star can... who was heavily recruited by alabama though yeah I that's mean, what i'm saying right. like the smart you... people knew how good he was like he's a three-star guy and you can blame the pandemic for that because he was highly sought after by several schools that wasn't evaluated because of the pandemic likely uh and, and several and several players were like that you like we we mentioned this a long time ago that the pandemic was going to have a an effect on evaluation of players and their seasons especially guys that weren't able to play their their senior years so you're going to have a lot of good players pop up at smaller schools like for example uh, you you just got had a oh what's his face from Iowa State that you know he just earned all American honors and is gonna transfer from Iowa State which I think is interesting but I, there's other things going on Iowa State with coaching coaching rumors and guys leaving not Matt Campbell but other guys but I think it's really interesting and everybody loves the Stutz I mean there it's 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 pretty apparent and so but also what is apparent is that. Brent Venables coming to OU is keeping a lot of defenders on the team because they know his track record. They know his track record at Clemson. They know his track record at OU. They know he's won a title at OU. They've known they've they they've known his track record at Clemson. He's he's won a couple of titles, and um, you know, are we still in shock as far as what the Sooners have? And don't have because I mean they they've lost some offensive guys. Did Xavion Bryce commit to Texas today? Yeah, sure. Uh, but did they keep a lot of guys in 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 the recruiting pocket? Yes. But it's been two weeks. Oklahoma's lost wide receivers to the portal. Now they can come back. Like Bray Walker came back to OU from the portal today. <laughs> um, and Brooks Kennedy Brooks, like we mentioned before the podcast. I don't imagine that there's that many running backs that are going to want to spend six years in college, especially with the amount of tread that they have on their tires these days. Like you can't waste a moment, especially as a college running back. That's why we were also surprised when Chuba Hubbard came back for that extra year. And so Brooks can leave and out of OU's offensive line, they're losing five contributors. Like, you know, you, you mentioned Swenson as a bad piece, but he was actually pretty okay with them. Uh, you Chris Murray, you're losing out on Tyrese Robinson. You're lo- you're missing out on Marquis uh, Marquise Hayes. You're missing out on uh, another. Who who else am I missing? I'm missing another one. I don't know. You're Run you're missing blank. you're missing out on five contributors on the offensive line, and you're bringing back essentially a center and two tackles, and one of the tackles that saw some spot duty. You're realistically bringing back Raym and Harrison and replacing a lot of other guys. And you're no, nobody's really sure of the quarterback situation. So the defense is actually pretty set. I mean, like, you know, likely who's going to stay. You got a lot of defenders that are in the recruiting class that are staying because they know Venables. You got a lot of guys know you defense that are likely to stay unless you play a certain position because Venables is not likely to play is, is not going to play the same style of defense that 
Alex Grinch did. I mean, he, Venables is multiple. Don't get me wrong. He can play a variety of sets, but what he's going to demand is something different that requires different body styles and different body types, especially in the front seven, not necessarily in the back four. And so, Stephen, in your opinion, are we getting lost as far as what Oklahoma is maybe losing on offense quite possibly? I don't think so. I think one of the biggest factors um, in all of this was retaining Bill Biedenboe because you do have some some depth kind of built up that's, that's relatively young, but there's some talent there in that offensive line that um, him leaving probably would have caused a little bit of a mass exodus mm-hmm. on that situation. I agree. Um, so also, I don't know if you guys saw it today. Bill Biedenboe had a little interview. I think at Sooner Sports TV, whatever. Uh, gotta love it for the guy. I mean, he just kind of poured his heart out there saying he loves Oklahoma. He wished he was, he was here to stay. And he finally got that wish when he got the call that he's going to be retained. So I think, uh, on the offensive line, you know, they're probably going to have to get a transfer maybe two, but, uh, they do have some pieces there and they think they're going to stick, um, with Bill being, being retained. Yeah. And you and me both know that Bill being about one to stay at Oklahoma. I mean, he, he wanted to stay at OU, and he essentially was in flux. He was almost getting choked up. Yeah, like he he, he was in he was in flux as far as like, all right, who's going to be the next head coach at OU? If it's not Venables, I'm likely out, and maybe to maybe maybe to USC, who knows? And so Venables is the guy, and so he's retained, and he gets to stay where he wants to stay because you know, he's passionate about being here. He and he's basically been here for a while, and he maybe wants to retire. Who, who, who knows? But he wants to stay here. Jack, uh, same question. Do you think because of all of the crap that has happened over the last two weeks that we are maybe getting lost in some of the things that Oklahoma is maybe losing after this year? Or no? I think to some extent, yeah. But, I mean, it's, you know, there's it's kind of hard to – put a gauge on that at this point because it's still so fluid at this right. point. So it's, I'm kind of TBD on that kind of stuff, but kind of That's like uh, Steven said, I mean, the offensive line is not an area where you could have afforded to have a lot of attrition. And we kind of all got our wish in keeping beaten bow there. So uh, things will, I mean, granted kind of like Steven said, they're going to have to hit the portal, but here's the thing there are a lot of coaching vacancies this year that have happened. There's been a lot of coaching turnover, a lot, a lot, a lot of people have hit the portal this off season. There's, I think I saw today, there's like 600 kids in the portal right now. It's wild. There's not, it's wild. There, it, there, there is not a shortage of options right now. You can find someone who can fit your scheme. You can find someone who is already fairly accomplished. You can find people with upside it's a new era of college football. And I mean, Vanderbilt was talking about it today. You're gonna, you're not dead in the water anymore. There's, you have more options. You have a life raft at this point. Yeah, v- v- Venables was talking about today. He even talked about the transfer portal himself, uh, talking about how they've been betting guys already and seeing, you know, where they fit. Are they a cultural fit? Are they a physical fit, et cetera? And I think Beatenbo, going back to the offensive line, I think Beatenbo is really going to love the Schmitty higher back being on, <laughs> on, on staff because I think he, out of all people, would notice, hey, my offensive line is getting soft and they're getting a little bit slow. Whereas, you know, under under Schmitty, 
that was certainly not the case under Biedenboe's offensive lines. When Schmitty was there and Biedenboe were there, they were crushing people where they were just running people into the ground. And that's not just with Samaj P. Ryan. That's what dudes like Kennedy Brooks too. I mean, just simple things like Trey that. Trey Sermon just, was in that conversation. Yeah, just like just simple, sim- simple plays that re- that require you to pull conditioning and and strength and, and impact. Like just because you have strength doesn't mean you have impact blocking skills. And those are two totally different things that require two totally different like quick twitch muscles. And that's those are things that Schmidt is going to focus on. Whereas Wiley's like, oh, you're feeling sore. OK, yoga today. But then we hit the weights tomorrow. That's basically what it was like. A very relaxed atmosphere. And I think that Beatenbo is going to love Schmidt back in Norman. And so National Sign Day 1 started today. It's not over, obviously, because Oklahoma is going to have likely two two more guys signed tomorrow. And so what I think is interesting is that you have two totally different mindsets and two totally different situations, mind you. I mean, I tweeted that tweeted this out earlier today. Brent Venables promised Dabo Sweeney that he would not go after any of the Clemson recruits and any Clemson recruits that came to him, that came to Venables. He was like, hey, listen, now you didn't commit necessarily to me. You committed to the University of Clemson, and I would urge you to really think about what you're doing here. Whereas... Lincoln Riley, I mean, as soon as he's and pretty named, much everyone else, other yeah, than yeah, <laughs> pretty much Lincoln Riley, pretty much like, and that's that's the kind of guy, right? That you, that you see in Venables and like Lincoln Riley, the day of he's announced is also the same exact day you're able to do in home visits. So the very first time he puts on a USC pullover, he's over at Relique's Brown, Relique Brown's house recruiting guys and flipping them. And so I just I think it's so interesting the totally different approach the mindset, the direction of the program. And so, first of all, something that needs to be noted, and we talked about this again pre-pod, is how well this staff was able to hold this damn class together. Uh, DeMarco Murray visiting quite literally everybody on the damn list, uh, bringing in Gavin Sawchuk and having a really good shot at Javante Barnes as well. And so, talking about the recruits that were signed today, um, uh, Steven, I'll go to you first because you are our de facto recruiting guy. You pay way more attention to this than I do. Um, in your opinion, who is the most underrated guy that Oklahoma signed today that you think is actually a dude? Most underrated? Mm-hmm. I'll go with two different answers. I think Jaden Rowe could be an absolute superstar. Um, for Brent Venables, he just kind of fits that Isaiah Simmons, um, both in terms of just build, speed, and kind of what he does on defense. I think they have him as a corner right now. Um, they're probably going to slot him over to safety and that safety hybrid linebacker that that Brent Venables kind of did for uh, for Isaiah Simmons. I think another guy it's going to be um, a guy like that creeps in the box a lot. Oh yeah, he's going to be in that box safety. Um, you could call him a linebacker if you want to, but. But I think he's going to be a superstar just with speed and, and just how big he is. But um, another guy, I think Jason Llewellyn could just be really, really good for Jeff Levy. He's a guy that um, kind of fits the Jeff Levy offense more than maybe like a Caden Helms does because mm-hmm. you can shift him, um, be that inline tight end. He's that big, or you can kind of shift him out to be a receiver. Um, and I think Jeff Levy, what he preaches a lot of is tempo. So they don't want to substitute quite a bit. And I think Jason Llewellyn could probably be a pretty good piece for that offense. 
Jack, what about you? Do you think they're who do you what what, what recruit what recruit do you think is kind of underrated in this class so far? Well, I'm kind of go I'm kind of going to go opposite of Stephen here. I was going to go with Caden Helms just because kind of uh, you know we had mentioned how Levy likes to go vertical, and it's been a while since OU has had a vertical threat at tight end with the uh, you know the type of athleticism as Caden Helms. I mean, you had uh, Mark Andrews a while back, but uh, you know you haven't had a guy with really the tight end build who has had the ability to really take the top off of a defense quite like. Caden Helms has the potential to do so Caden Helms is a guy who I could see being a pretty good contributor and maybe a pretty big good uh big play threat but uh the other would be Alton Tarver and I think he's kind of a departure from what you've seen with uh body types when uh under Grinch I mean you're you know you were starting guys at defensive tackle or nose who were you know a little more slender I mean you were uh, the interior of the defensive line was definitely not as big I mean Tarver's over 300 pounds and he's going to get bigger. Yeah. I mean, he's someone who is going to disrupt in the middle for sure. Absolutely. He's going to be definitely the type of guy who OU is going to pursue in the interior as it moves to the SEC. So uh, Tarver, you could see as a guy who definitely fits into those plans in the future. Jack, you stole my answer. I was going to go Tarver. And, 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 and like just by looking at his film, he is as tall as he is wide. He is thick. He is a massive. He reminds me of Casey Walker. Yeah. He reminds me of Casey Walker a lot. He may not be, you know, that six foot five guy. I think he's about six foot two, but well over 300 pounds. He's going to drop bad weight. He's probably going to be one of those guys that still has some bad weight, but also adds a lot of good weight. He's not going to be one of those flat bellied, you know, Aaron Donald guys on the inside, just like wrecking things. But from his film, he keeps his pad leverage low. He knows how to use his pad leverage. And he's one of those guys that's going to really get into the backfield and be disruptive. And if, if not be disruptive, it's be definitely a stopgap to where you're not going to run. You're not running. You're not moving this guy. You're not running his way. And so that's an answer that I would say that that's pretty important. I, I that that's a guy that fits S, that SEC style of defense on, on the defensive line. That's a guy that fits that style, Brent Venables and what, and what he wants to do. And so with that said, Jack, I'm coming back to you first. Now, with all these guys that they were able to salvage, because again, what a hell of a job for them to keep all these guys in the fold. I mean, really, tr- people like you guys need to understand this is one hell of a job without an entire coaching staff. You got Bob Stoops, who was out recruiting with DeMarco <laughs> Murray and Kale Gundy, and they and Joe John Finley, and somehow held most of this together which is unbelievable in itself. All the OU guys sticking together. And also another wonderful thing is something that you love to see is that Brian Odom, Jamar Kane, Calvin Thibodeau, all coming back to help coach the bowl game. All of those guys have OU guys. Three guys who were put in a horrible situation. Of course. And, and only and, you know, two of them get to go with Riley and Tibbs kind of got left out in the lurch. And yeah, I'm, it, it's a bummer that he couldn't have been retained. I mean, I, Part of me thought he might be just because he was a former player under Brent Venables. But, uh, I agree. And it's in a guy whose group, you know, has done a pretty good job over the past couple of years. He's done a great job on the trail, and 
it's a bummer, but he's landed in a pretty good situation at SMU, and he's someone who he's a pretty hot name, and he's going to be able to sort of move up in the ladder, I think. So he he'll be fine, but it's just a it's a bummer that it's not happening in Oklahoma for sure. And I appreciate Jamar Kane for coming back because he's yeah. a guy that I was not expecting to come back to coach for the for the bowl game, uh, strictly just because he'd been there just for like what a year uh, yeah. or two years. And I mean, but he's developed a lot of uh, great relationships with, with Marcus Tripling and all those edge rushers. But I mean, the other guys are Oklahoma guys. You know, Tibbs, Odom. I figured Odom would call the defense if he was yeah. retained. Odom, people forget he's an Oklahoma boy out of Ada, I believe. Yeah, uh, he played his first two years at OU. Yeah, he, yeah and he transferred. And then he, uh, and of course, Tibbs as well. So the Oklahoma connection there is strong. But Jack, who, out of all these signees so far, I mean, there's likely more to come. I mean, Venables even mentioned there's they've got a couple more in the next 24 hours. And we already know one of them in Caden Helms. And one of them is uh, likely flip from Clemson. That's it's no secret. I mean, it's out there everywhere. Uh, and Jaron Canick from 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 uh, from Clemson, who lives quite literally just an hour, about an hour away from Brent Venables hometown in Sal- uh, in Salina, Kansas, you know. And so they have that Kansas connection that's pretty strong. But who do you think is the most important recruit of this class so far? One of them, I mean, one of the first people who comes to mind is the highest rated guy. And that's because he's probably going to come into a situation where he's going to be expected to be one of the primary contributors at his position. And that's Gavin Sawchuk. Because, you know, Kennedy kind of like you mentioned, not everyone wants to be in college for six years. Not everyone's Caleb Kelly. He uh, He's probably someone who, you know, he's going to get a shot at the next level, and he probably is ready to take that shot at this point. So the running back room, you're left with Eric Gray, and you're left with Marcus Major. So Sawchuck is definitely a guy who you could see contributing or, you know, maybe getting a very large chunk of the carries right away. And he's, he's a really talented kid. He's not that huge, but he's a guy who doesn't really mess around much. He's really physical. He hits the hole really hard. He's a, he's not someone who's going to get caught dancing behind the line of scrimmage. He's going to, he's a no nonsense running back for sure. So He's uh he's someone who I'm really looking forward to watching for sure. And Sawchuck comes from a squad that is coached by Ed McCaffrey, and Ed McCaffrey himself said, "Hey, you know, you know who Gavin Sawchuck reminds me of? Christian McCaffrey, which is his own son. So, like, who better to acknowledge who this guy reminds him of yeah. better than his own father? Which I love. I mean, Sawchuck is a guy that can dish out some punishment." He's a guy that's can, that can out-juke you in the field. He's a guy that has great hands. Uh, I agree. And, and if Oklahoma were able to, they're leading, in my opinion, and, and, and others' opinions for Javante Barnes. If they were to get both of those guys in this class, would be huge for OU. Uh, Steven, well done for DeMarco Murray, for yeah, sure. Yeah, for, for sure, definitely. Comes, comes in as like, oh, he's a new coach. Let's see what he's got. And if he's able to reel in Javante Barnes, too, along with Sawchuck amid all of this, Holy crap, right? Like, talk about... And that's after a couple of years of having some really bad breaks on the recruiting course, trail. I mean, guys who were committed for a long time who, you know, just sort of it fell through the cracks, ended up at Alabama. I'm not going to name names, but, you know... Uh, Too many of them. he hits on both of these, uh, 
you know, that's, that's really, really strong for sure. So, I mean, you know, and, you know, we saw how active he was on the trail right after Riley left. That's a guy who is OU all the way. And, you know, he's a guy who you could see kind of like Kale Gundy who could kind of transcend coaching eras and stay here for a really long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he is just a sooner through and through kind of like Kale. I mean, he's a, a guy who I think OU is extremely fortunate to have in their corner. Steven, what about you? Who do you, who do you think is the most important player in this class right now? Most important. I'll go with a guy that didn't sign today. I'll go with Gentry Williams. Um, mm. Just because we, we all know that Oklahoma's kind of starved for talent on the back end of their defense. Gentry Williams can be that guy with his Okay, preps. Team. It's a he's a Tulsa prospect. You know how I feel about this. state guy. So so you gotta have him. I think uh Oklahoma's still in a very, very good place in that situation. It's just kind of one of those things where it's pretty understandable. He's not very familiar with the new uh the new coaching staff. Uh doesn't even know who his D B coach is at the moment. So can't really blame the kid for not signing. Um I don't think OU's kind of slipped in any manner, but um they do need to do some work to kind of get him to ink in February. So I'll go with Gentry Williams in that respect. And I was, again, pre-pod, I was talking to Jackie, and I think there are people in the in the Gentry Williams household that aren't too fond of Lincoln Riley anymore after the stunt he pulled. It doesn't and sound so, like it. And so I think that's good news for OU. And the longer OU waits to name that DB coach, I think that's good news considering – maybe where they're pulling him from so uh we'll see we'll we'll see where that goes for me i'm gonna go with one of the florida decommits uh and it's not nick evers uh i'm 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 gonna go with Jaden gibson a six foot five wide receiver i mean there haven't been that many massive receivers that have panned out of ou if we're being quite honest i mean like what we had dahoo green and uh, a, cu- a couple of the really big guys, Jeffrey just, Mead, Jeffrey Mead, Dallas Todd. Remember that? Remember that signing <laughs> class Dallas that they Todd. had? That they just had like four guys Kenan over six. Bill, I think four. was in that class, maybe. Yeah, he had, he had several trees, and Norvell recruited, and none of them panned out. Basically, Mark Andrews they, was in that class. Basically, yeah, Mark Andrews did. Shepard panned out, but Shepard was always going to pan out. Uh, and, and so, but I think you know, under under Levy, that. That Jaden Gibson, six foot five, one a one eighty five with Schmitty on at the helm. You add fifteen pounds to this guy, and immediately he's a red zone threat. It's a guy that you throw the ball to. You let him go high point the ball and catch it. I mean, that's that's a red zone threat immediately, especially if he can find holes in zones. And and that's something that he's actually pretty good at already for a big guy. He's not he's not the speediest guy which is interesting because Jaden Rowe is a little bit shorter than him and is really fast and but then you look at Jaden Gibson not the fastest guy but can find holes in zones and is just again a massive long body to where he can get get balls and snag balls has an incredible radius because of the, the length of his arms. And so some guy that's going to be trained, uh, some that's going to, some guy that's going to add weight and some guy that is going to be a red zone threat, at least a red zone threat. And we'll see if he's a guy that ends up being more than a red zone threat down later on in his career. And so Venables did mention hitting the transfer portal since they'll need it. Um, 
what position group do you guys expect Venables to really look at the hardest besides quarterback? Because I think we can all agree that they're going to hit the quarter. They're going to hit the portal for a quarterback just for depth perspective and for depth's sake. Because Rattler's gone, uh, and then like well, you have Rucker and and maybe Caleb Williams. So you're definitely hitting the portal for in Micah Bowens. You have definitely have the portal for at least one guy. Uh, but regardless of quarterback, who else? What kind of positions are you guys looking at portaling? I I th- when I think of portaling, I think of the trenches. What do you guys think? I think it's going to have to be for the interior offensive line, kind of like Stephen mentioned, and then you know. Another position I was mentioning, running back. I mean, you're there might be some pretty slim pickings mm. at running back. And, you know, last year, depth at running back was a major concern. And if, if they don't bring someone in in the portal, even if they bring in Javante Barnes, they're probably going to hit the portal for the running back. Like Do Zach they Evans? land a guy like Zach Evans, maybe? <laughs> That'd be pretty sweet, in my opinion. But, like, uh, that's, I mean, maybe that's aiming a little high. But, you know, there, that possibility's there. But, uh there are going to be plenty of options there at running back. And you would think that they're going to take at least one or two guys there. Steven, what's your opinion on that? Yeah. It kind of sounded like today when they were talking about vetting um, certain prospects in the transfer portal, it kind of sounded like they were talking about Zach Evans in a way. Uh, <laughs> well, no, <laughs> granted, I mean, he's a guy who he's got I mean, he's, he's with the... a lot of red flags, but by all accounts, you know, became a model student at TCU and really, you got to walk that fine line. Bought in a little bit there, so I mean, right? And maybe... he knows if he steps out of line at OU, he's running steps with Schmidt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But um, you know, that's uh, it's an interesting way of them putting it with all of the vetting. I mean, I'm, I mean, sure, every school you know vets to some extent, but you could picture Venables being a little more diligent on that end. I suppose. Right. So, I would uh, agree with that. Yeah, definitely going to be interesting to see. Uh, which types of guys they bring in, you know, it's uh, what the standards are there. I mean, I think we have a pretty good idea there, but uh, they're, I mean, even, you know, with Venables being a fairly known commodity around these parts, this is his first time as a head coach. Mm-hmm. So there's still a lot of un- unknowns here and, you know, the portal and those tendencies are a component of that. So it's uh, going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I, I, I think it's really interesting to see. I, I think they're going to, have to portal in guys in a guard most likely right yeah you're after going to uh, portal in guys in the interior and the offensive line be just because the sheer amount of guys you're losing uh they're gonna have to maybe even portal in some defensive linemen again because i mean that offer today because i mean like alex grinch and those guys they they lived off the perry and winfrey josh ellis and isaiah co you have so many juco guys and that's a ron prince did at k-state a long time ago and it killed them after that third year because you weren't developing your own talent so you're you're gonna have to have to portal in guys especially young guys and you're gonna have to put out a lot of fringe offers this year and then get the bumps out of the road next year and then start really rolling as far as developing your own players. So definitely portaling in guys in the trenches. And I can see running backs and some wide receivers too, considering the Awis is still in the portal. Don't know if he's going to withdraw his name or not. Hazelwood's obviously already on his way to Fayetteville and stuff like that. So I'm very curious to see what that looks like. And so what I thought was really interesting though, and this is one of the last couple of things we're going to talk about, Venables was very straightforward and welcoming back all of the alumni. And what I thought was interesting is because 
I thought that was interesting because Lincoln Riley, the alumni weren't really around the associate. They weren't, they were around Bob Stoops. They were around the Switzer center around Bob Stoops, but they weren't around the program as much, especially when Lincoln Riley was there. And I, I think that's really, really interesting. And so for you guys and Stephen, I'll come to you first. Venny welcoming back all the alumni, not just including coaches, but a lot of former players. You had a lot of former players like Roy Williams, Teddy Lehman. You you, na- you name them, you got them uh, coming back. What does that do for a program? And what does that do for a program's image? Well, I think first and foremost, it just energizes the fan base. I mean, seeing Roy Williams back um, for a lot of people kind of brings back the that first vibe. Superman, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the early 2000s of an Oklahoma team that's just going to come out and just kick your ass, essentially. So I think uh, the fan base has never been more energized. I think we've seen that on Twitter um, over the past, like, two weeks. Um, by the spaces, all the follows, all that other stuff. Um, as far as, like, support, I think it's very important to have that structure around um, having those those older players around those new players. You look at like, a program like uh, like Alabama, with several guys that had extensive careers in the NFL and still have careers in the NFL, um, kind of being those role models, kind of being the, that person to live up to in a way, um, walk around those hallways. So I do, I do think it just kind of sets a precedent for the program. Jack, same question. What do you, what do you, what do you think about all these alumni being officially like, it, like it was weird, like almost like officially welcome back to, welcome to back by Brent Venables as if they weren't allowed or near or were supposed to be near the program as, as close as other regimes have previously been. You know, you saw a lot of alumni, you know, in Twitter videos and at recruiting events and stuff like that, but it seemed like it was more of like a tactical thing mm-hmm. for Lincoln Riley than it was him actually embracing those people and including them on a day-to-day basis and, you know, including them in a way that didn't necessarily just suit his needs essentially. So I think that's something that's kind of what has been mentioned. You know, it's resonating with a lot of these alumni and it's sort of, uh, it mobilizes a lot of people and it gets fans excited kind of as Steven mentioned for sure. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, and again, I think it, it's a total shift in focus on where the program is heading there. They, they went. They're going. They went from flash because Lincoln Riley is all flash, right? He's exciting. He rec- he recruits really, really well. He loves Twitter. He's really got the social media game and all that good stuff. But a really, really, really shitty guy at building a culture within a program. Like it was very clear that yeah, they wanted to win championships, but the vision wasn't there. The, the the program arc was not there. So, like, actually having a vision for the program, which is why, again, that turn of speed guy from Clemson, that's why I think I, he's a big deal coming to OU. I think that's going to play a massive role. You're seeing a shift in what the program's direction is, but not necessarily where they're trying to go. I think they're, go, they're attacking it at a different aspect. And I think it's a good point for OU and for all levels involved. I mean, you get new guys coming in. You got the old heads in guys that recognize you. I mean, the hell like having CD lamb on the sidelines for a game, having like Adrian Peterson on the sidelines for games. 
that matters williams in there as well that that matters in like that's something that never happened under under lincoln riley like at all which i don't understand why because you have so many superstars like baker mayfield could be on that sideline kylo murray could be on that sideline mark andrews could be on that sideline but you never use them and you you never you never invited them out to those games especially on their bye weeks it just blows my mind that that wasn't a thing under Riley, especially when you were that close to actually winning national titles or making it to the national title game. And so the last thing I got for us is kind of like looking into crystal balls and like alternate realities, right? Which is really interesting because we still don't know the outcome of Caleb Williams and whether or not he sticks with Oklahoma after December 29th, right? I mean, he's he said, you know, congrats to Link, congrats to his family. Um, I'll have more to say later. And then he's leading the team in workouts in December 29th, uh, till December 29th, till the bowl game, the Alamo Bowl. And we're waiting, essentially, basically to see what happens. And so we're going to play a game of about different futures. First, we're going to go with this, and I'm going to come to you first, Jack. If Caleb Williams does indeed transfer and does not come back to Oklahoma after this year, if he's not the quarterback at Oklahoma next year, what are your expectations of this team? And what do you think that looks like? If they lose Caleb Williams, you know, kind of like we mentioned, they're going to hit the portal pretty hard. Then one guy who's been mentioned, uh, you know, guy who uh, has a connection to Jeff Levy would be Dylan Gabriel. Yeah. From you, a guy who's really fun to watch and, you know, would probably have a lot of success at Oklahoma. Now, in that instance, you're, you know, right back in the thick of competing for a Big 12 title. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're, in year one under Brent, I don't think you're quite in the national championship picture. Maybe the playoff picture, but, you know, right, probably right. Like as fringe. credit as this is another first-round exit, probably. That's fair. In the future, after they, you know, you know, get all of that in the swing of things. I mean, then you have a, you know, a shot to really compete in the SEC after that. But um, here's the thing. Even if Oklahoma does really well, finds a great quarterback in the portal, losing Caleb Williams would just objectively be sad because he's someone who has the chance to really be an incredible ambassador for this program for decades. And if he's only here for one year, you kind of lose that. Mm-hmm. He's someone who is obviously a very solid dude, a very good teammate, a very personable individual, very charismatic, someone who can really carry the banner for this program publicly for a very long time after he's long gone from Norman. So losing someone like that would be. I don't want to say devastating that's a little dramatic but definitely definitely a bummer that's for sure even if they replace him with someone who's very talented and puts OE right back in the mix to win a big 12 title again right and steven i'll come to you with the same question so differing realities let's say again caleb williams doesn't come back uh what what is your what are your expectations for next year and what does that look like to you I think, um, you know, obviously it changes things because you do want that high caliber quarterback. You want that elite guy running the offense at the same time. 
Um, I don't think it would be out of a question that they couldn't just contend for another Big 12 title, um, especially with looking at the Big 12 returning next year. I think uh, Ohio, or Oklahoma State returns, what, nine, nine guys on defense, but they lose their defensive coordinator. Um, Baylor would be like a, a team I'd be watching. So um, Oklahoma – Talent-wise, still has the pieces around them to contend for a title if they don't have that elite guy at quarterback. And like Jack said, they could go out and get like a Dylan Gabriel and be just fine. Um, Or even a a Slovis from USC. Right, right. So there's plenty of guys out there that can kind of – you can plug and play and you'll you'll still contend for that Big 12 championship. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with both you guys. I I think I think it would be a gut punch, right, uh, right. Jack? Like like you guys mentioned, like you, you know, you have this guy, you've seen what he can do. He even mentioned today on the on if you guys haven't listened to Jeremiah Hall's podcast that the the day before the Texas game, he was told to you know basically be ready, and he, God, he was right. And then you saw for the rest of the season, did he make some freshman mistakes? Yeah, but. Did you think he was going to actually score on in Bedlam on that long run? A lot of us thought he was going to score on that long run. I it, uh, he I think he was like a block away or a juke away from actually getting in the end zone with not that much time left. And so if he were to leave, I, I think, again, Oklahoma, 